0: Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
1: Welcome to How To, I'm Courtney Martin.
0: And I'm Carvel Wallace.
1: Carvel, you know it's February, peak season of the romantic Mm -hmm. industrial complex. (laughs) I love love, I do, but you know what I don't love? What's that? The outsized focus on romantic love in particular.
0: Yeah, there's like a lot of different kinds of love and it's weird that we're so obsessed with romantic love because there's like parental love, there's brotherly love, there's neighborly love, and maybe even the best of them all is love between friends.
1: I mean, what is more central to joy and resilience and fun and like all the good things in life than a motley crew of friends, which is why even though it's kind of cheesy, I sort of love this like more modern concept of Palentine's Day
0: Yes, I'm 100% about Valentine's Day for sure. You know, the Surgeon General of the United States is saying that there's actually a loneliness epidemic. So some people are declaring this a friendship recession. So like friendships are really no joke.
1: Speaking of which, I mean, how is your friend life these days, Carvel?
0: I'm pretty serious about my friend life. I actually prioritize it over my romantic life, <laughs> and I I am reaping the rewards of that. I feel good about my friend life.
1: That's awesome. What about you? My friend life is also solid. I got art friends. I got activist friends. I got new friends. I got old friends.
0: Do you mean old friends like friends who've been your friends for a long time, or friends who are themselves old?
1: My longest friend is my friend since third grade. Shout out Megan. Uh-huh. Um, but I also have a lot of elder friends. Like mm. I love nothing more than like an old, slightly curmudgeonly woman with like a deep well of wisdom <laughs> who just makes me not take myself so seriously. I love that.
0: You know, we've covered friends a lot of times on this show, but I don't think we've ever talked about intergenerational friendships.
1: Yeah, this is the first topic in our special series on friendship that starts today. It's a really interesting way to rethink who could be a friend. And we're not stopping there.
0: That's right. In the next few episodes, we're also going to help people evolve their friendships as life changes. And we're also going to help people deal with friendships ending.
1: Oh makes my heart hurt, but yes, a fact of life. Yeah. Okay, should we jump in? Let's do it. Carvel, listeners, I want you to meet Emily.
2: I am a young twenty something and I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I work with an organization called Bridge USA. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create spaces for young people in high school and college to be able to have conversations across the political spectrum in a healthy, empathetic way. And I work in a predominantly virtual space. All of my coworkers are 25 or younger. So really the only interaction that I have with intergenerational spaces is in my church and then also like within my own family. So I'm really trying to find some older friendships and really learn from people who have been on this planet for way longer than I have.
1: Here's something you may not know. We're living in the most age-diverse society in human history. Isn't that wild? There are almost equal numbers of people alive today at every age, from one-year-olds to 70-year-olds and beyond. People are living longer to the point where we even have five generation workplaces. And multi-generational households, once kind of going out of style, are now exploding in number in the US. Now that's all true, and then on the other hand, we've got this loneliness epidemic. A lot of younger people feel understandably hopeless as they look towards the future, and a lot of older people are feeling kind of isolated and worried about the legacy they're leaving. But there is an antidote intergenerational friendship which is why i wanted to bring in a dear friend of mine who's an expert on this topic
3: emily i think you should understand that like when i met courtney i felt like courtney was like the new kid on the block and now like your generation is kind of the coming up block you know it's so interesting Mm -hmm. to
1: me Yeah. yeah how
2: emily
3: how old are
1: you
2: i am 23
1: I
3: wonder. We probably
1: met when I was twenty-five or twenty. You were definitely in your twenties, and I was in my forties. Yeah, must have been. And I'm years I'm on. now forty-four. Yeah. So anyway, just puts it all in perspective. We were ten.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. wow, that feels kind of like a full circle. <laughs> yeah. a full circle moment. <laughs> Completely. That's Marcy Albaher.
1: She's a vice president of Cogenerate, an organization whose mission is to normalize cross-generational relationships. How cool is that? And she's also an author and former columnist for the New York Times. But most importantly of all, she is a genius at finding friends in unexpected places. She's going to share her wisdom right after the break. Before cross-generational friendships became a centerpiece of Marcy's career, her interest wasn't purely professional.
3: When I was in my 20s and 30s, I sought a lot of relationships with older people. Like I had all these mentors at work that were like women a generation or two ahead of me who seemed to have things all figured out. But I think what happened is once I hit my late 30s and I realized I wouldn't be having kids of my own, I realized that if I wanted to have younger people in my life specifically, that I was going to have to be super intentional about making that happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Emily, growing up outside of your family, did you feel like you had intergenerational relationships like in high school? Did you ever have friends of different ages? Or does this feel sort of like your whole life, you've been craving this intergenerational aspect that you haven't been getting?
2: So I really was drawn to hanging out with people who were older than me. I was the little annoying sister that was like tagging along with my brother's friends and actually wanted to like be their friend. I didn't just want to be known as the annoying young sister. So I would say in that way, I was able to make some intergenerational friendships. Ironically, though, my senior year, I started making friendships with my teachers. But after I graduated, I actually just started approaching them. And I was like, hey, I just like you as a person. Would you want to just get coffee sometime? So there are a couple of teachers that I still stay in contact with. And I would say, you know, they're friends of mine. Like we we go get coffee, we go get dinner, and it feels very casual in a very appropriate setting, too.
3: In my 30s, I met this teacher who had a huge influence on me, who had this like rich intergenerational life Um who had a lot of purpose and community and really strong relationships because she formed, Emily, exactly the kind of friendships you're talking about that you sought out with those teachers. And I I can tell you, there are just like scores of people younger than her, generations of them really, who thought of Audrey as this mentor and friend. And I was like, I want to be an Audrey in my life. And Emily, it's interesting. I'm now at the age where I'm getting approached the way you approached your teacher. So a few of the younger friends I've had have been just that. We meet because of a shared purpose. Like we're doing a volunteer project together or we're working together. But I have met younger friends like through my neighborhood. Like one of my dearest younger friends was the barista at my local coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And we started talking. One day we had a, a very significant moment because later that afternoon, my mother and i um used to host an annual clothing swap and i was getting my morning coffee and i saw madge and i was like madge what are you doing later today we're hosting this clothing swap why don't you come and she came at the end of her shift and she like fit right in with this intergenerational group of women but she basically left with like an entire new wardrobe and it was this thing we then shared that broke the ice. That's awesome. Oh my
2: goodness. I'm sure the vintage pieces there were just gorgeous.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Because everything comes back, (laughs) right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm hearing, and Emily, I'm sure you're hearing this too, shared passion, shared project, something that kind of brings generations together, which can be work or can be more volunteer oriented or You know sport or something like that and i'm also hearing physical proximity right the neighborhood aspect you mentioned um one word we've brought up that i think is really interesting to unpack is mentor i think we've we've Mm -hmm. probably all used it at some point sort of in a passing way and I wanted to get your feeling, Emily, do you think of yourself as looking for a quote-unquote mentor? Does it feel lighter than that? Like, what's your relationship to that word?
2: (laughs) I've been really contemplating that because I think in a work sense, I would love to have a mentor because I'm getting more responsibility in my job. I'm struggling to kind of balance my work and my life. And I'm like, wow, I think I really need to speak to you know, a woman who's walked through these weird stages of being in your early 20s and having a job and having a lot of responsibility. And then I think in the other sense, I'm like just genuinely curious about what it means to have an older friend.
3: I really thought about the mentor thing a lot. I think about that all the time, too. And I've almost like erased the idea of one person being a mentor from my vocabulary. Mm. So first of all, we need many, many mentors, all of us at all life stages and in all contexts, we need to collect a lot of mentors and all mentorships if they're effective are two-way mentorships. So I find that when a mentorship is always one way and it's always one teacher and one learner, I don't think you ever get to the friendship because it's not balanced. And the best of the intergenerational relationships I find when both people are learning and sharing and it never Mm -hmm. just feels one way. It can start one way sometimes on the mentor thing. But the mentor thing is only one kind of intergenerational friendship. Like in the Madge story, neither of us were approaching that as mentorship. That was pure friendship. Like we clicked. One of my coworkers,
2: she lives in Arizona. We signed up to do ice skating lessons because we're like, we need a hobby. We need to get out of our house because we work virtual. We need to just, like, do something to meet people. And the one other person who signed up to do ice skating lessons was this woman named Marta. I think she was maybe in her late 60s, early 70s. And we signed up for these ice skating lessons, I think they were for about 10 weeks. So the first couple of weeks, you know, Mainly just my coworker and I, we were like chit chatting. And then like the third or fourth week, we finally like broke the ice with Marta and it just turned into this like really fun friendship where she was joking with us. And she was like, I bet your grandmas are not doing ice skating lessons. And I was like, actually, no, they're not. (laughs) So it was really fun to just like get to know her for a little bit. Unfortunately, I think we made those connections a little bit like too late in the lessons and then the lesson was over and. I, I don't know what Marta's doing. So Marta, if you want to reach out <laughs> to me, if you're listening to this, please feel free to. Yes. Um. But that's kind of when I started to realize, I was like, wait, I don't have to just find a mentor. Like having a mentor is really great and awesome. But also like, I can just find an older person and be friends with them. I didn't realize that that was like a friendship level that you could unlock. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm really missing that well and i'm
1: hearing in your story that pivotal moment that we heard in yours marcy of when you asked your barista if she would come to your house like we get sometimes to bump up against people of different generations. But if we don't take that extra step, like if you could have said to Marta at the last lesson, Hey, it's been so amazing getting to know you. Like, would you mind if I got your number? We could go for a walk sometime. It's like these things probably sort of fall through our fingers at different moments. Um, so it's good to like, keep an eye on the opportunity while we have it. Marcy, what did you hear in that story? My whole
3: work life has me thinking about this. And one of the things we talk about is like a recipe for intergenerational relationships—is. Proximity, shared purpose, and practice. So proximity, I think we saw it in these stories: the ice skating, the coffee shop, the shared purpose is like that you're together on something that is a shared activity or mission. And the practice is really the, it takes a little work sometimes to feel like I think doing a little work to say, wow, in this friendship, I may behave a little differently or communicate a little differently or do something different than I do with my age peers and that that takes practice so if you have anybody younger or older in your life you realize like some people came of age where it's really common to leave voicemails some people never listen to their voicemails based on age group that's a common generational Emily do you practice, listen to voicemails
2: you know? I try to avoid them if I can <laughs> <laughs>
3: Right. But might you listen to a voice memo? Like if I left you, I voice- love voice
2: memos. Right? I'm like, please. Right. I, I know said my best friend voice memos. And we joke, we're like, we run our own podcast. Like, we're just saying to other <laughs> right? voice That's memos great. throughout the day.
3: Right. And I see that with my nephew, he would never he's 17, 18. Now, he would never listen to a voicemail. But he loves the voice memos. He lives them for me all the time. But yet, if I'm communicating with another 50 or 60 something or with my mother, I know a long voicemail will get listened to. So just those kind of cues, Courtney, just trying to observe, we shouldn't assume that because someone is of a certain age or generation, they communicate in certain ways, but some of them do surprisingly map to our generational cohort. Yes.
1: Marcy, you're reminding me so much, one of my most treasured intergenerational friendships right now is my neighbor, Louise, who's 85 or maybe 86, I can't remember. She actually does text um, and email, and so we have pretty similar communication styles in that regard, but actually I've noticed physically when I'm with her, I feel like I have to like slow my entire nervous system down. I don't know if you've experienced this, Emily, but especially with like an elder, like someone who is a lot older, and it's... Not that she's slow in any, like, way related to her age. She's also, like, Buddhist and, like, a very practiced meditator. So part of me wonders, is this age or is this, like, just Louise? But I literally have to be like, oh, like, talk slower, Courtney. Like, be more calm. Like, don't rush through Mm -hmm. things. Like, it's almost a cultural difference than, like, a tool difference, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Emily, do you ever have that experience with an older person? 100%.
2: I find that when I'm with my peers, it's like I'm talking at 100 million miles per hour. And it's almost like you need to talk faster. I realized I'll start doing that when I'm talking to like my grandma, for instance. She's like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) You were there, now you're here. How did you just slow down for a little bit? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, there is, you know, a different, I think the word culture, Courtney, I think that's a really like, great word to
3: use about those differences. I feel like age is never the only thing in the mix. Mm -hmm. It's never, I like to say, it's never the only thing in the room. It reminds me of the intersectional language. Mm -hmm. Like with everybody you're dealing with, they are their age, but there are other things too, right? So you can always tease it out, but you know that age is part of it, what's going on, age and generation. And then the other thing is when you just said like oh I need to develop a hobby I got into this ice skating with my friend like it just brought me back to like I now know what my hobbies are and I find that when I'm with younger people they're still figuring that out they're still trying out so many things to know that about themselves and when you get older you have to remind yourself that you can surprise yourself and that you can continue to gain knowledge about yourself but you do have a good sense. And often when you get older, what you want to do is dig in more and make more space for the stuff you know you really love. So that's very intriguing to me.
2: How do I create those connections with them when I might be in and out of some hobbies and I don't want to appear like I'm just kind of like flippantly, you know, creating connections with people?
3: Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the number one way that I've seen people do it is to follow an interest you have. Often it's through volunteering mm. in an animal shelter, in a soup kitchen, or their weekend hiking group, biking group, walking group. Um, so I would really try to solve those two things at once. You're craving for mm. what you want to do with your time and let the relationships come out of that. I think that is so
1: wise. If you find your purpose, you'll find your people because that base level connective tissue will be built in. Also, there's something to be said about sticking with something, like committing for a whole year and continuing to show up. To be honest, that's my deepest lesson of community. It's about showing up over and over and over again. You may meet someone on the first day, sure, and sparks could fly, but it also may take some time. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to have some real talk on how to navigate generational clashes.
4: On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things.
0: I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving.
4: Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts.
1: We're back with our listener, Emily, and expert Marcy Albaher. I'm thinking the three of us are talking a bit as if intergenerational relationships Not that they're easy, but that's, you know, Marcy and I do a lot of it. You're straining to do it, Emily. But it sounds like you really have had your own practice of doing it in the stories you've told, that this is kind of a natural way that you move in the world. But the truth is, this is very atypical We are deeply age segregated, despite everything we know about how beneficial intergenerational relationships are. So Marcy, will you just help us understand that a little bit? Because it's one of those things where you're like, why are we living like this when we know how much benefit there would
3: be from having more of these kind of relationships? You know, we started like um, 100 years ago as this very age integrated society. And this was before We had uh, the kind of separations in even in school that we have now where everything is kind of broken down into grammar schools and middle schools and high schools and colleges. And one of the things that is a very much a hallmark of like American modern society is that we are born somewhere and like the big kind of American success story is, you kind of go off, get educated, and you leave where you came from. Multi-generational living is having a comeback. In the pandemic, especially, we saw the rise in multi-generational living that came through necessity and through economic challenges. Uh So I think we are cutting it back. But there is this, there always was this, like, American se- success story was, like, very high um, tied to, like, the individual journey, not a community and collective journey, as is so common in Cultures that are a little more communitarian oriented and people are craving it now. People are feeling isolated, disconnected. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned, Emily, that the church is a place that is a place of intergenerational connection. We have become a less religious society overall, and a lot of uh, faith institutions are finding that younger people are not coming anymore, so they are not as age-integrated places as they used to be.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Workplaces, which could be the most age-diverse places for us to mix, often the the much older and the much younger people are not mixing. We do have to do some work if we want to re-establish these kinds of connections. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Emily, have you had experiences at church? I'm curious
2: about that. Yes and no. I feel like still, my church experience has still been like very like age segregated. I think it's also like just doing some self-reflection. It's really on me too. Like I'm I'm talking about how I want these friendships. And then like, I'm really like listening to what you're saying, Marcy and Courtney. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, there's been these different touch points when I could have just consistently showed up or I could have made the first move and been like, Hey, I really feel like we click like, Would you like to go shopping sometime? Or do you want to go to the farmer's market? And I think there's still this barrier in my mind of, oh, this person is older. I can't really be friends Mm -hmm. with them in that way. So I do think there is a bit of like an intimidation factor of, oh, does someone older, though, want to be friends with me? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's I don't I don't know if this gets talked about a lot, but now that Gen Z, now that we're coming more into the scene there's been some smack talk about us and that can make it feel a little bit like, Oh, well, what if people think I'm fitting XYZ stereotype and, or they look down on me because I'm young, but I guess I also have to let people decide that too.
3: Oh, Emily, two things. Like, older people love it when younger people seek them out. So just know that like you are, you know, I'm Jewish and we would say like big mitzvah. If you approach an older person with that kind of curiosity and interest, I can't imagine anyone would be rebuff you, especially if you feel like you're clicking. And then it it just struck me that what you were talking about is like, we do the easy thing. And the easy thing is to find the person our age, our race, our gender, and like, Mm -hmm. Who makes us feel comfortable. And I was thinking about the work you do. Like you do bridging work. And I just feel like you understand the power of making a connection across difference. and age is just like another difference. And mm-hmm. in some ways, it's it's an easier difference than the kind of political divide you're working in because, all of us have experience with age, right? We all know what it was like to be younger and aspire to be older or know someone older in our family. I think the the work you do around the political divide is a harder bridge to cross.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. That's such an interesting point. I was also thinking, Emily, I remember when I was your age, it was like, or maybe a little bit older, it was when Obama and Clinton were running against each other. And that was a real generational rift among women in particular. And, you know, I was an Obama supporter. And I remember I had older friends and mentors who were Clinton supporters and they were mad at me. And, you know, I was wrestling mm-hmm. with them. And and so I do think each generation feels like the older generation is talking smack about them, like mm-hmm. that that's kind of this, you know, cyclical thing that happens. And so I just really wanted to mirror for you that I remember that feeling. And it, it is intimidating and like we have to push through it. And I was also thinking on the elder side, Marcy, your story about the coffee shop, like one of the things I admire about you among so many things is that you're non-hierarchical, like you aren't rushing through that coffee experience being like this – lady gets me my coffee like not contemplating her humanity like you're slowing down enough to have Mm -hmm. a conversation with her value her at the same level that you value yourself invite her into your home and so I think for older people who are listening the more that you can look at someone like Emily who's 23 or even me who's 44 and like not discount our humanity just because we're younger or just because we're, you know, in Emily's case, maybe her organizational title is not fancy or, you know, whatever it is that you're sort of used to registering as like, oh, this is a person worth my time, worth me chatting with. Like, if we can shed some of those kind of elite ideas about who could be our friends as older people, I feel like we could meet
3: more young people. Isn't that part of this story? Completely, but I also just have to say, All intergenerational friendships seem to have this little bit of cachet around them. I follow the media and I've seen a bunch of stories about, you know, he's 20, they're 70, and they're best pals. Like, that Mm -hmm. is a headline people like to read because it's counterintuitive, it's intriguing, and... We all want to be part of something that's a little different. I
1: also Mm -hmm. have a very practical piece of advice that, you know, maybe is like too practical. Marcy, tell me if this is (laughs) not fair. But I have a friend who just turned 30. Hi, Caroline. And I'm 44. And I met her after a talk I gave. She came and introduced herself. And I can't remember. I think maybe we met up for coffee. But ultimately, our bond has been like fomented around an intergenerational book club that I'm in, which is really awesome. Um, but also because she's really helpful with my kids. And mm. I just mentioned mm-hmm. that because I would be friends it's with better. her if she wasn't helpful with my kids. But as someone who like, you know, two working parents, two small children, we're always trying to like put some band-aid over a scheduling error that has happened and Caroline is one of the people I know I could call in a jam and be like Caroline can you come by for like one hour like we you know John and I screwed this thing up and it's small to her but for me it's this profound help and relief to have just a couple of people I can call that I know their lives are such that they actually can usually make a little space. Not that I expect her to, like she has her own big life. But if there are relationships like that with someone who's not, you know, 40 years older than you, but maybe like 15 years older or 20 years older, where you can be that stopgap for them. For me, that has just been like a beautiful way that our friendship has. And, you know, I try to give her professional advice and recommend her for jobs. And so there's just like a lot of
3: abundance in our relationship, if that makes sense.
2: That totally makes sense.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. But I think also on the older end, like, I think, you know, your your elders in your life would welcome like, who's gonna pick me up at the colonoscopy? Who's gonna like we, Mm. you know, there's other ways to show up in the life of your elder friends. And I think sometimes you have to volunteer, like not wait for the ask.
2: Mm hmm. I think it's, like, kind of coming back to just, like, not letting those barriers of, like, what is this person going to think to me? You know, like, the basics of, like, trying to build friendships. And I think what I'm hearing is that it's almost like these building blocks. Like, I think it's very easy for my generation. And I think they're very valid excuses. Like, our college lives were kind of upended by COVID, We didn't get like a lot of practice on building those foundational relational skills in college that I feel like other generations did. And what I'm hearing from my friends is even like, we're just struggling to make friends, period. But now I'm feeling like really empowered of like, well, I should find out what my hobbies are. And like, maybe I should go and just like put myself out and like not be afraid of being rejected because at the end of the day i'm trying to build the life that i want to live and i need to have a little bit of some risk there
3: yeah oh that is so profound and also if you're an organizer you can actually do something like what courtney did like courtney intentionally mm. made an intergenerational writing group like i i host a co-host a poker game and that's really intergenerational we have people from their 20s to their 80s in our poker game
2: i love hosting things so how did you come to the idea of a poker night
3: actually, when I was a journalist, I used to write for the New York Times and I had this editor and I was having a really hard time making a connection with him. And one day he was racing off a phone call and he's like, I can't deal with your edit. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm going to be late for my poker game. And I'm like, oh, you have a poker game? And he's like, why do you play? And I was like, yes. And he invited me to the poker game the next time. And then I realized this group needed a host because a bunch of them lived in the suburbs and I lived in the city and I offered to start hosting the poker game, which was probably the best career decision I ever made because <laughs> every single person in this poker game, at first it was all journalists and these became my mentors. These were the people that really helped me in my career and taught me so much. It's evolved over the years. It's, it's not all journalists anymore, but that was the origin of that game. That is fascinating. It's so
1: fun. I want to do one beat on some of the challenges of intergenerational relationships. I think we've talked about potential communication challenges like intimidation, ageism is all potentially in the mix. Marcy, what are some other things that you hear people bringing up that end up being creating some strain or tension in these friendships?
3: Well, first of all, I think when you have friends of your age, You are like moving through the life stages together, right? There's a certain lockstep thing that happens. And I think sometimes with older or younger friends, like you can be watching them move into different life stages that your relationship will either survive those transitions or they won't. But family transitions are huge. It will affect their availability for you, unless like Courtney suggested, you figure out how to morph your relationship into their family life. So I think with older friends, I I really think understanding that people are facing health challenges or often caregiving situations, I've seen that um, really show up in friendships and it's a difference that people have to get used to. And then I think there are generational tensions I know there are generational tensions right now about um, the wars that are happening in our world um, and activism. And uh, those things can separate people or it can perhaps bring people closer if they go with curiosity and trying to understand how an older or younger generation is experiencing something.
1: I think those are also true and, and wise to bring up, Marcy. I was also thinking about jealousy. For example, young people, one of the sort of bad reputations you all have Emily is that you know you want to take your vacation time and you want (laughs) to clock off at five o'clock on the dot and all these things and when I hear that and I'm not an organizational leader but when I hear that I hear oh my generation is jealous that your generation right out of the gate is like we are gonna have work-life boundaries so sometimes with my generation there were ways in which i used to joke that like we were like feminist frankensteins cuz we were like we really took to heart that we should be empowered and say what we thought and take leadership positions at a younger age. And then I felt like for some of the older women in my life, it was like, wait a minute, this girl's too big for her britches. And I was like, you told us to be too big for our britches. That's what we're doing, is like the thing you work so hard for. And that some of the resistance is just like jealousy. Why does the younger generation get to take vacations when we have always like worked ourselves to the bone? So I don't know if that resonates at all, Marcy, for you, but I feel like that's like a more underlying
3: strain or Emily for you. I'm hearing younger people say the world is different than when you came of age and you can't apply the rules that worked for you to what we're facing right now. The chances of me, you know, buying a house are so different than what it was like for your generation or having a, you know, a certain kind of experience. At work, so I think there are the younger people are asking for some grace and asking for older people to try to understand what it feels like to come of age in a world where social media is bringing them images from around the world every minute, and where they went to school in COVID, and where, like you know, these very, very radically different experiences that people of our generation did not face or my generation did not face. But Emily, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm interested in how that feels for you.
2: I think that's so accurate, Marcy. (laughs) I see on social media where there's people my age who are like, oh my gosh, like, how do we balance work-life commute? I have to commute into work. Like, how do I have time to do my laundry? How do I have time to do this or that? And they just get dogpiled on. these people being like, well, welcome to the real world. And I get that like my problems to someone else might seem really small, but they're still like my problems. There's still things that I'm trying to figure out. And I'm really happy and glad that you figured them out. But I would love some grace along the way when I'm trying to figure these things out too.
1: Oh, I love that so much. And I think we got to a paradox that's so important to name, which is the older person in the relationship who can hold you in that moment of both this is your problem it may seem small to me at 44 and being able to hold as the older person what it felt like when you were that age and that the things that feel small to you know maybe marcy or louise some of the people older than me in my life like That each generation basically has to hold both the smallness and the bigness of the other generation's problems, right? And, like, I want to be friends with older people who can both kind of calm my nervous system and be like, yes, it's really hard to have two working parents and two small kids and trying to be put it all together. And you know what? It's all going to be okay and you're doing a great job and the details that feel super important are actually not that important like you're loving with your kids you're present Mm -hmm. you're doing good work in the world that's kind of all that matters court like you're doing great Mm -hmm. in the same way that i would love to be for you someone emily who's saying like i know it's so hard to get it all done it's so hard to figure out who the hell you want to be in the world and you are doing such a good job and like this is not to minimize how hard those things are but like the stuff that matters you're doing beautifully with. You know, it's like, we need someone that can hold both like the hardness of what we're doing and also help us right size it in our own minds and hearts. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Emily,
1: has this felt helpful? Um, Marcy and I wanna be of service to you. So we wanna know like, are you leaving with some maybe practical and also deeper learnings from today? And do you have any lingering questions?
2: I think the thing for me that I'm getting out of this is just to find the activities that make me really happy. And then like see how I can find older people, older generations in the mix of those and not trying to like major in the minors. Of Mm. Oh, should I devise this whole plan to like, set myself up for these relationships, just kind of like let them naturally flow into what I'm doing. And I actually am feeling like so inspired because one of the hobbies that I'm actually now like, realizing that I really enjoy is cooking. And I was like, Oh, well, what if I just did a little like, dinner party? Wasn't stressed about like who showed up or like being afraid to invite someone who's older, being like, oh, they're they're probably not going to want to come to like a 20 year old's dinner party. They're probably going to be scared that I'm going to give them food poisoning. Um, But instead, to just like send out the invitation and see who shows up. And then from there, kind of figure things out. And also, maybe I should go back to ice skating and see if Marta is still around because I have a feeling she might be.
3: Oh, well, when you do that dinner party, um, you can even be a little more intentional. You can say bonus points if you could bring someone from another generation. So you're planting Ooh. the seed to the people that you invite. You could even suggest people to bring like a family recipe, like something that means something intergenerationally. So that's one spark. The other thing is like, I feel like chemistry is really a part of it. Like, in all friendships, of course, like we think about why did we befriend somebody in particular? And you know, you were drawn to Marta, like that is chemistry. Like there is something that makes us want to get curious about someone. And so I would just have your radar up around that. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is, and I talk about this all the time with Duncan, the younger colleague, where we're leading these workshops on cross-generational relationships. And I learned this from him is you'd be surprised, like you're the younger, and then suddenly it will hit you that you just flip a switch and you're like, wow, wow. So there's the next generation who are coming to me and it often happens at work, but we started doing a bunch of work with high school students and Duncan is like mm. at 30, I'm now the elder. And it was so <laughs> interesting what to watch him have that transformation which I've watched with you, Courtney over the years. So um, I'm just gonna say like wherever you are in this, Emily, like I wouldn't be surprised if you get to be the elder too. like age is just relative. There's always someone mm. older and younger. So keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, I love that. That's the
1: best. Well, our chemistry has been on fire. I would love to hang out with the two of you any old time. And, you know, Marcy, just can't thank you enough for all of your wisdom today and over the years. You're such a gift. What a joy this was. Yeah, Thank you so much. So that was part one of our special friendship series. Be sure to join us next week when we dive into how friendships grow and change over time. And in the meantime, check out the show notes where we have links to a bunch of great episodes about where to find friends, how to approach a friend crush, and even how to deal with gender divides in friendship. And of course, we want to know what you think. What friendship advice do you have? What conundrums can we help solve? Do you have a missed connection from ice skating class? Send us a note at howto@slate.com at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a, you guessed it, friend that helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis. Merit Jacob is senior technical director and composed our theme music. And Charles Duhigg created the whole show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening.